All right, guys, you've heard me talk about ClickFunnels before a lot of times, and that's because it is an amazing tool for course creators. I've been using it for many, many years now, and I recommend it to just about any course creator out there to host your course, to build your funnels in it, to have your order forms. There's so much you can do in ClickFunnels, and there's so many things it can do well. And when you sign up for ClickFunnels using the link I'm about to give you, you get so many great things that are going to empower you to use it well. You're going to get all the templates I'm actively using for my online piano course, plus my training on how to use ClickFunnels as a course creator. So get started now with your free trial and get all these things from me by going to theonlinecourseguy.com slash click. This episode is also brought to you by another one of my favorite tools, Bonjoro. Every time somebody signs up for my piano course within the next 24 hours or so, they will get a personal welcome video from me and Bonjoro is the tool that I use to make that super, super easy. You can get started with your free trial of Bonjoro by going to bonjoro.com slash Jacques. Now on to episode 133, where Gina Horky returns. Regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. This is The Online Course Show. I'm your host, Jacques Hopkins, and here with me, as usual, is our co-host, David Crozy. Hey, what's up? And we're excited to dive into all things online courses with you today. Just like that, David, we are on episode 133. Dang, moving right along. Moving right along. Uh, it's amazing how how things just kind of increase as you do them with, with consistency and, and frequency. In this case, we've been doing it every week. And, and that's really, I think, the key to growth in anything is, is just slow progress over time and sticking with it. And that's what we've done with this podcast here. Do you keep an eye on the actual downloads and see an Im- Im- increase there? Yeah, just just slow and steady, right? There's there's been no you know one significant jump here and there, whatever. I mean, it's just slow and steady, uh, nice. slow and steady growth. We're really pretty niche down here. You know, there's not a lot of podcasts that are specifically on online courses. You know, one of the one of the big marketing podcasts that I've historically ever listened to. One, of, it's it's really had one of the biggest impacts on on my journey as an entrepreneur is Smart Passive Income by Pat Flynn. Many people know that. And I was just listening to one of his most recent episodes and he had a course creator on. They were just talking about the the, the story behind that person's course. And, and that's great. And that's a great episode for course creators. But that's what we try to do over here. Every episode is, is make it inspirational and motivational for specifically course creators. So we're, we're doing our best over here, right? So what's been going on with you, David? Uh, not too much up here. The main thing... I started listening and looking into this Jim Edwards, his copywriting process. So he's the guy that's kind of affiliated with ClickFunnels as far as their kind of copywriting guru. And it was just interesting. You know, me personally, I love podcasts. And so I started by looking up and seeing if he had a podcast, started listening to that and enjoyed some of the stories. And so then it invited me into the free Facebook group, got in there and I mean, he has a bunch of super fans. People would get his book and without really being incentivized to do it, they're like taking pictures of themselves. They're like, I'm halfway through and my highlighter ran out. 
And so it was very, very compelling. So I, I bought the book. I received it last night, made it through the, just the first couple pages, but I'm excited to jump into that. I mean, I actually really enjoy the writing process. And so, yeah, I'm excited about jumping into the, jumping into his uh, copywriting advice. And just, it was interesting just to experience kind of all the social proof that really made me say, yeah, I'm in the right spot. Yeah, copywriting is a topic I haven't really studied, gotten into very much. I've never been big on like writing and, uh, you know, English and, and reading and those types of subjects were always my worst in school. And it, it's probably just like a mindset thing. Like I, I just assumed from a very young age, I was bad at it. So I assume I'm bad at it today. So I haven't really got in, into it too much. I'll tell you, you know, the, the biggest place that I do focus on copywriting is just when I'm writing up an email. Mm-hmm. And the way that I do it, it's pretty simple. I just like picture my customer avatar, like my ideal customer, I picture I'm right there next to them and we're having an actual voice conversation and I write my email just like that. And it's super casual. It's like, Hey, what's up? I just grabbed a nice coffee sitting down to chat with you. You know, this is what I want to drop to you today. This, you know, this knowledge bomb, you know, just like super casual conversation with my ideal avatar. I don't know if that's right or wrong. That's how I do it. And it's, uh, it can be a lot of fun. I think that's super smart. I think one of my weaknesses is trying to write it like a ninth grade level when I should be writing it like a third <laughs> grade level. I mean, all the all the advice would say that, you know, you need to keep it simple and just, yeah, like you said, conversational. Yeah, I'm not I'm not super familiar with with Jim Edwards. I I was actually the most the most exposure to him. I actually experienced very recently because he and uh, Russell Brunson are doing something new. It's called, I think, Funnel Fridays, where every Friday they kind of build a funnel together. And, and Russell does the, the, the click funnel side, the building out of the logistics. And then Jim Edwards will do the copywriting. And then they, they put on a timer and see how quickly they can do it. And I've mostly ignored them. But this most recent one was, was about memberships. And so honestly, I tuned in to see if they were going, he was going to shed any light into the future of, of the kind of the, the way that ClickFunnels handles memberships. Cause, you know, that's where my piano course and all my courses are hosted. And I know yours is as well as inside of ClickFunnels. And no, they didn't shed any, any light into the future of it, but it was kind of cool to see them uh, build out a funnel and, and see Jim Edwards process for for copywriting on a funnel as well. Well, where would I find that if I wanted to tune into that? Oh, I you're putting me on the spot. I would just Google Funnel Fridays. Okay. I'm just on I'm on their email list and I saw, you know, when I saw the word membership, it piqued my interest and then I uh, clicked on it. Nice. Well, hey, I got to ask like you do you have a final number for this past month? I mean, you were having this amazing huh. month. I talked to you right before it ended. Yeah, I ended up signing up 452 new students to piano in 21 days, um, which is by far a record. Normal under normal circumstances when we're not quarantined and all that, a good month is like 125 wow. new students, something like that. And that ended up coming in at like 100 134.6k <laughs> in revenue, which that that's top line. You know, that's not profit. That's I still have expenses and got to pay taxes on all that on other, uh, and everything. But at the end of the day, it's just a record month. Everybody's staying home. And like I said before, I had things in place beforehand. And, and, and now I got all this surge of traffic right now. And it's converting like it was before. It's producing happy students like it was before. My community is more engaged than ever before. It's really amazing. So I'm just, I'm, I feel so blessed and honored to, to really be a part of this. It's really a lot of fun. Well, c- 
Congratulations. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, Thanks, ben. I mean, it's something that, that makes people enjoy being stuck in their house. So how, how cool mm-hmm. is that? Such a win-win. The other thing I wanted to ask about is uh, you've talked about starting the affiliate process. I don't think you ever even actually shared what service um, you're doing your affiliate system through, or maybe you have, but I, I've never looked into that. Like, what's the process like of, of starting to do affiliates? Yeah, you've got to you've got to have some tracking, some affiliate tracking software of some sort. I use ClickFunnels because I'm already using ClickFunnels, right? And you have to be up at their two, $297 a month plan to get what they call Backpack, which is their affiliate management software. So a lot of people that that have signed up through through for ClickFunnels because of my advice, they're still in that $97 a month plan. And so to pay another $200 just for an affiliate program may not be the smartest move. It's really up to you. I was actually, I already had to bump up to the 297 plan because of the just quantity of funnels and pages that I have. So it was already there when I decided to use their affiliate program. So it really didn't cost me anything extra. Mm. But for example, you know, Nate Dotson is, is using, I think he's using Thrive, something Thrive for his affiliate program even though he uses ClickFunnels for his course because he's on the $97 a month ClickFunnels plan and now he's using ThriveCart. That's what it is. So you don't have to use ClickFunnels. That is what I use. It's fairly seamless. You just drop in some affiliate pages inside your existing funnel and uh, a lot of people use the affiliate program there and it seems to be working for me. Nice. Are you thinking about having some affiliates, David? Not really, but I mean, I tell people about your piano story and I don't know if I've gotten anybody to sign up, but you know, if I made it my goal, I think I could. There you go. Well, maybe you need to learn piano yourself, David, and then you can be like, look what I did in just 21 days. Have an affiliate Mm -hmm. link. (laughs) Not as wild about that one. Keep working on me. It'd be a while. I had like... Yeah, no doubt. I'm still traumatized from my mom trying to teach me in second grade. Ruined our relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness gracious. Well, a lot of people have bad memories of piano lessons as a kid. And that's one of the reasons my program has been so successful. It's because people come back to it years later, always regretting not actually having learned. And they don't want to go through that same process they did the last time. They want it to be fun. They want it to be fast. And that's what I've got to offer at Piano in 21 Days. Boom. Sales pitch. Going to get a lot of new signups from online course show listeners. Uh, Anyway... Anyway, let's do our win of the week. This has been a lot of fun. This is for listeners and course creators of all types to leave us a little audio message of a recent win, a, uh, a big you know, milestone hit in, in students or, or sales volume, a recent big launch, something like that. And, and we've had a lot of fun with this here recently. And so this week's submission comes from Ayana Webb, who, hey, Speaking of piano, she's an online piano teacher as well, and she just crossed a big milestone in her business. So let's go ahead and play this week's win of the week. Hello, my name is Ayana Webb, and my website is www.themusicalweb.com. That's www.themusicalweb.com. And I actually mainly sell online piano courses. And I've pretty much been at this thing for about four or so years doing some trial and error when it comes to driving traffic to my site. And recently I have tapped into a sales funnel or a system that really launched my sales. And as of last week, 
I have reached officially over 1,000 paid students, and I have also reached over 100 paid students into my monthly membership program. So hopefully, if things keep going the way they're going, I'll be able to reach up to six figures by the end of May 2020. So hopefully, this has inspired some other people. If you are running into any issues, just keep going. Find somebody who can teach you the ropes in terms of driving traffic and scaling your business because that was one thing that revolutionized mine. So thank you for listening. All right. So a thousand paid students into her monthly memberships, membership and her goal. It sounds like she's, she's on track for six figures. I'm guessing by the, for the year. I, I don't think that's a, a monthly thing, but six figures was her goal by the end of May. I wish she would have let us know what this big, you know, change was that she made this, this, uh, this funnel that she implemented. It would have loved, I would have loved to have he, he heard more details. And then she also said that just the traffic into this funnel was really what put her over the top. So congratulations to Ayana and thank Thanks to her for sharing this week's one of the week. What would you think about what she had to share? Yeah, definitely. That was an exciting one to hear. And like, like we said, you know, what was the takeaway? Like, you know, you got to find that one thing that takes you to the next level. So the specific uh, funnel or sequence that that moves you up or advertising strategy. I mean, I love that this highlights, you know, there's room for multiple people to have success within all these different niches. So, you know, you're not scared to have another piano person on here because there's room for lots of people to, to have success. And at the end of the day, you can really only ever be working on one thing at a time. At a time, and, and that reminds me, David, I, I actually did a lot of yard work yesterday. I pressure washed a lot. I pressure washed my fence, my driveway, and all the while, I was listening to a book. And I almost finished the entire book. And I don't know about you, but I, I love Mike Michalowicz. He's the author of Profit First and many other books. I don't know if you've ever read anything by him, but he's got a new book out called Fix This Next. And it's all about just diagnosing your business and figuring out where you should put your focus next. And he's got this whole hierarchy of business needs. And, you know, for example, you can't really focus on profit until you're actually getting sales come through. Uh, I think at the very top is, is legacy. Like you can't focus on your legacy if you're not making any money and so on. Really, really, really insightful. He even talks about, you know, synergistic relationships with your so-called competitors. And so there's a lot, a lot that we just talked about that makes me think of that book and how great it is. So I highly recommend that and really all of Mike McCallowitz's books. Here, I thought you were going to say Traffic Secrets for sure. And you started that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've definitely started Traffic Secrets. No, I haven't made it all the way through yet. It's, it's you know, a lot of Traffic Secrets, you know, you can kind of pick and choose. It's almost like a choose your own adventure type thing too. So I don't know that it's something I'm ever going to read cover to cover, but I'll, I'll bounce around here and there. Nice. So working on it, David, thanks for calling me out. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that's going to do it for our intro. Why don't we start transitioning into our core content of the day? And that's our conversation with Gina Horky, who has been on the podcast before. She was first on in episode 82. And that was a fantastic conversation because it, it went places I wasn't necessarily expecting. She's very opinionated. She's very successful. She knows what she's talking about with online courses. And I was really pumped to invite her back on the podcast to see where it would go next. And so there was a lot of great uh, a lot of great nuggets, topics that we got into, and we'll go ahead and play it. And then as normal, you and I, David, will come back on the back end and kind of do a little analysis like normal. So does that sound good to you? Sounds great. Let's roll it. All right. Let's 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 go ahead and play the full conversation between myself and Gina Horky right now. <laughs> 
Hey, Gina, welcome back to the online course show. Hey, happy to be here. So I'm definitely going to point listeners in the kind of the introduction to this to our previous conversation where you shared your, your story of how you got into courses and uh, and what's and, and then your story as it progressed. But it's been about a year since since I've talked to you. And, and of course, since the listeners have heard from you. So let's start off by just giving us an update on, on kind of what's been going on in the past year with your business. Yeah, it's been kind of a fun growth period. And I'd be probably remiss if anybody is tuning into my story. So almost a year ago, I actually went through a pretty large life change. I decided to go to rehab because I had some issues with alcohol. And so I'm a little bit of a phoenix right now, but I feel amazing in more ways than just like physically and mentally, but really creatively and having this pretty concrete vision of where we're going in the future. So That doesn't need to be a large part of our conversation, but it points to the fact that life is challenging and business is challenging, and sometimes we don't handle it in the most healthy way, but I'm happy to say I'm on a different path now. You know, if you take a look at our conversation the last time for people that do decide to tune in, I entered the space in 2014 and I created my first online course within about eight months of starting my business, and it was teaching on what I then became kind of an expert in, which was building a freelance writing business. And the version of that course versus what we're producing these days is so different. And it's really fun because I took a lot of notes and I openly shared my story by like blogging about things. And so I know numbers and I know just feelings, I guess, that I can revisit over time. And I think reflecting can be really, really healthy and seeing the journey that you've taken and kind of how things have transformed. And for me, that was, you know, writing one or two lessons every morning in the month of December, or excuse me, November of 2014 for this email course that was 30 standalone lessons to now, you know, having a a pretty professional and repeatable way of releasing new online courses to the marketplace. So they're still skill specific actually even more so than ever before. And we're building out brands around each of our courses these days rather than housing everything on our main website, which is horkyhandbook.com. So the most recent one we are, I can highlight as an example, is called Podcast Production School. So we have been listening to what the market needs. We started with freelance writing and kind of get started as a virtual assistant course so that people that didn't know a lot about this marketplace could dip their toes, figure out what services to offer, maybe even repositioning some of the skills that they had from their corporate positions to land those first few clients and figure out this whole world of online business. Because it's pretty different than working in a nine to five. Do you remember those days? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think about it all the time. And, you know, this this episode will be released several weeks into the future, but I'm sure we'll still be on some form of lockdown from what's going on with the with the globe right now. And even just how I'd be handling the pandemic, it's like, wow, it'd be so different if I was working my nine to five versus running an online business. Totally different. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things that learning this world has given me is a lot of confidence I don't think I'll ever go back to a (laughs) nine to five or corporate America, but I'm sure that you can totally relate to this as far as like being able to really confidently walk into like any marketing department of some major companies or small businesses and be like, hey, I know how to help. 
Like you don't have to actually probably do a lot of training. There might be some things that I can teach you at this point based on what I've learned. And I don't mean that to sound cocky at all. It's just like I've invested a lot of time and definitely resources and learning hard skills that I've applied first and foremost to my business at this point in the game. In the past, I offered them as services and I actually got paid to learn as a virtual assistant myself, which is great. But that's anyway, it's just kind of a full circle, mind blown kind of realization that sometimes I use as if all of it goes to hell in a handbasket, I've got this backup plan. <laughs> well, I, that, that's very true. There's a big difference between working a, a more standard job and just like receiving tasks from somebody higher up and then you have to execute on their vision versus building something of your own from the ground up. I mean, I've, I've done about $1.5 million in sales with my piano course alone. And I think that there's a lot that goes, that goes to that. Like I've had to learn so much on my side to be able to accomplish something like that, where, you know, seven years ago before I had gotten started, I, you know, I was a completely different person, completely different person. So I love the way you put it though, just being able to walk into other companies and have the, kind of confidence, right? Not necessarily cockiness, but confidence that you could actually teach them something. And, and so you certainly, you know, showed that as well. And just being an asset and imagine your resume saying, Hey, like $1.5 million in gross sales in the last five years or something yeah. like that in online marketing and course creation. Yeah, it definitely sets you apart from the crowd. And I think another thing that you probably could agree with that we've learned is so much about positioning ourselves and our businesses and things like that, that you just don't learn in kind of a regular day job. So back to kind of the journey, podcast production school, again, is kind of the most uh, recent example, though we have a couple of more in the works where we're really mastering teaching people the hard skills of different services that they can offer. So under podcast production, there's probably a half a dozen to a dozen different services underneath that umbrella that you can learn how to do and you can offer. We packaged it as podcast production school because if you're a podcast producer, typically you learn and know how to do all of these things and you're involved in a lot of parts of the process. So if we break down what types of services these can be, it's definitely editing audio. It can be writing show notes. It can be doing the marketing and the promotion of the show, which goes all the way into like learning. Social media is a big part of that for many people. It can be a repurposing content. If you were to ask me my favorite method of work and maybe even word of the year, like repurposing is the best thing ever. And for those of you that aren't familiar with this term, it's basically doing work once and figuring out multiple ways to redistribute it so that you can get momentum in your business. So many things to unpack here. I'm like furiously writing notes, Gina. I'm so excited about this. And I remember last time we talked, like the, the conversation didn't necessarily go the direction I expected it to go because you seem to know a lot about different aspects of online business and have pretty strong opinions about it, which is one, one reason I love you. And so last time, and, and, you know, I love you from a business, professional only, right? And so refunds and disputes. That's, that's one thing, one big thing that came up last time. I definitely encourage people to go back and listen to that conversation. But a few things I want to dive here based on what you said, repurposing content. That's a big initiative over here as well. One thing I'm trying to do is focus on long form content, you know, focus my form on my time on the long, long form content like this, like some, like some uh, live streams, and then have my team go in and, and, and splice out different pieces of that and then repurpose it on other platforms. Do you have a kind of a dialed in system for repurposing content? 
So this is going to give away like our secrets probably, but this is what we are learning and implementing right now that I just feel so excited about. And it is with these new brands and these new courses is figuring out a way to become a credible expert, which can be through self-publishing on Amazon, both in like a digital book, as well as one that they can order that's already printed for them. And then that translates into blog content. And then that also could translate into recording, like people will like record a blog post, right? And straight up like read it. I don't know that I feel real great about that strategy, just because I think it would be kind of boring. But you could have a blog post on a certain topic. And then you could have a real candid conversation and like a podcast interview that you film. And the filming part of it can go to YouTube, but the podcast can even get transcribed if you wanted to start there rather than starting with the the blog posts. And then little bits and chunks can go towards using it for promotion on social media or, you know, a newsletter. So um, one of the people that I really look up to is Neville Neville Medhora from copywritingcourse.com. And he's just brilliant with repurposing content. But I just really love how much effort he puts into creating really great content. And then not only does it live in its blog, but then people are... He's using it as his email funnel as well. And it's not like, hey, here's my intro paragraph, go click back to the blog in order to read it. Ain't nobody really want to do that. They want to absorb that material based on that medium of communication that they've already given you permission to talk to them with. All right. So let's get into this where you talked about kind of restructuring how you're doing courses and where the courses live, right? So am I understanding correctly that Horky Handbook is going to be kind of the hub, but then you're also going to have your other courses like this new podcasting course on its own domain? It is on its own domain. So it's podcastproductionschool.com, which I'm also excited about kind of that new branding. So a lot of the things that we bring out in the future will have the school part conditioned or associated with it. Horky Handbook is going to stay as the place to come to if you want to find or become a virtual assistant. We also have our freelance writing brand under there too. And we've talked about, does this need to be on its own place or should it continue to live here? The biggest thing is that we want to be very direct in our communication with our target market and why you're showing up on our website and what you're going to get out of it. So we have like our courses and workbooks page on our site that will show all of the offerings that live on Horky Handbook and probably won't be moved. Excuse me. So that is our flagship course, which is 30 days or less to virtual assistant success. And then we already do have some skill specific ones in there, project management and email management, but they don't need their own domain. So those are more of like, these are frontline services that anybody can really master in a pretty short period of time if they're not sure what they want to do. And that's with the intention of getting their business up and running really quickly and earning a decent income as a result. Now, when we're looking into brands like, you know, doing podcast production, like that's definitely a very specialized level of services that people are probably going to or be willing to pay more for than maybe email management and customer service. Although I did really well offering those services. I didn't bill hourly and I was making upwards of $100 an hour by the time I parted ways with all of my clients very amicably. I loved them all. They're amazing. But yeah, so we're being very intentional and building this out in its own domain, partly for the purpose of if we want to sell it in the future, Mm. like it's going to have all of its own channels when it comes to social media, it'll have its own checkout provider and its own email management system for um, doing our sales funnels and all of that jazz. So it's still owned by our parent company, but it's a very standalone brand 
and it has Gina Horky associated with it, which makes it super fun. But you wouldn't have to have that a part of it in the future. Like it's not all dependent on my name and me, if that makes sense, because we're going to have super great content that lives there that should be published by the time people are tuning into this episode. We're working on that book that we'll have on Amazon again, just marking our territory, (laughs) so to speak, with being credible experts in this field. And we can be very intentional about creating that content and creating it for a book and for blog content. And even for a course, the course is going to be the premium and it's going to be uh, well, it's, it is already in existence and has been since the fall of last year. I mean, that's where you're going to learn the tangible hard skills. That's where you're going to know how to edit that audio and write those show notes and do all of those parts that I outlined before. A book is going to be a little bit more like theory than practical application. We'll teach you how to take it from like that mindset to your first few steps. We're not going to teach you how to establish a six-figure business in this book, for example. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, totally. It's very interesting that you're kind of starting your own like online course company from scratch. And I, I realize that it's it's falling within like technically your 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 business entity now, but you're building it so it's separate so you could potentially sell it one day. And it's interesting for somebody who's maybe doesn't even have a course yet to kind of follow you your your path uh, with this podcasting production school and see how you set things up. And from what it sounds like, it kind of sounds like the main revenue source is going to be a course, right? You're going to have book sales and, and there, there might be some affiliate income, maybe it's more like marketing assets. Let's be there honest. you go. So am I hearing correctly that the, the business model is around course sales, but you're still going to put out all kinds of other content around it, which then funnels people into eventually, hopefully buying the course. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that we're getting really um, good at is like keyword research and, doing SEO for these brands. And instead of trying to fight for all these top keywords within HorkyHandbook.com, we can be very strategic about going after these podcasting ones with this brand in particular. And the way that we're going to do that is creating the best content on the internet for those keywords that we're trying to rank for. And so we're not going to be lazy about any of this. And the great thing about this business that I've built is that I know all the people. Right. So like we're not doing all of it ourselves either. Like it's great that uh, we know what the keyword research results are. We know how to create a really great outline and take a look at what needs to go into that post. But we don't have to be the one creating the content and doing the research and doing the actual writing anymore. Although we definitely have strong opinions on the quality that needs to be produced. Yeah, really interesting. Because I know like my my SEO guy warns me about trying to get too broad within the same domain, right? If, you know, just hypothetically, I have a piano in 21 days.com, sell an online piano course. If I ever wanted to sell, say, a guitar course, he says, you kind of want that on a different domain. You wouldn't want to start all of a sudden writing guitar articles on your piano website because that might actually bring down your your piano relevance. So, Even though they're both music related. So to the right. average person, it makes 100% total sense. But from an SEO guru standpoint, it doesn't. Yeah. And you know, I've got this brand too. So I have a little bit of experience with kind of two completely separate brands, but it is tough to keep things separate, right? So some like software packages that I sign up for, I kind of use both brands in the same account. I'm curious to see what level you've separated that, but also your team. Do you kind of have the same people working on all your brands or have you separated that out as well? Yeah, so we're in the midst of kind of figuring out some of that stuff. But from a tool standpoint, uh, for the 
companies that we're subscribing to, we're doing sub accounts because I want the data to be separate. So it's not even from a cost standpoint that we're looking at things. It's just that if you ever want to sell something, you need to know your data mm-hmm. and you need to make sure that that's a sellable asset being that it's a standalone kind of product as well as those tool suite that goes along with it. So we use Drip for all of our email marketing stuff. And so we just have sub accounts then for each of our our Drip things. And it's great because when you're logged in, you can just literally toggle to each of the different brands and, you know, super easy, but everything lives on its own place and it's very organized Outside of the other things that we're doing, we use Samcart for our checkout provider and we have sub accounts for that. And that is awesome because that's where all of our financial data lives when it comes to sales and affiliates and and all of that good stuff. Everything's on WordPress because that's just our preference. So everything will have its own domain and then, you know, theme. And we're using some of those similar things. When it comes to a team, We're kind of doing both. So we have kind of our A players these days that do social media, that do content creation, definitely the website stuff. And when needed, we're borrowing them for different parts of the brand. And then other times we're doing more of like, okay, we don't need an ongoing person for this. We need more of a project person for this. And then again, we're looking inward to our community first and foremost to find those folks. One of the challenges in struggling in, in selling an online course based business is that a lot of times it's very reliant on the creator and the owner, right? So on this on this new brand on this new website, are are we going to be able to see you anywhere on it? Like, are you teaching? Are you teaching the courses? Or is it very apparent that it's you, or is it a lot of people? No. So I've strategically partnered with experts in these different fields. So for the podcast production brand, Haley Thomas, and I had actually created the project management course together. And then she pulled in her podcast producer and her name is Mel Scroggins. So the three of us are the ones that have come up with um, the course and, and are working as a team in order to do all of the things. And we have our online course and then we have a paid community that goes alongside it. One of the things that we've done pretty brilliantly, if I can brag about anything, is that our differentiating factor, our unique kind of sales proposition, isn't it a USP? I think I'm coming around to these Sounds terms. good. I yeah, just roll with it. roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> is that we are super concerned and invested in our student success because we know that, A, we want to sell something that people get results from because we're just passionate about like changing the world, but B, that we're providing as many of the solutions as possible to help them to get there, which includes introducing them to client leads. So we're actually helping to build their businesses. They still have to do the hard work of learning the skills and putting in the time and representing themselves effectively, but we're um, allowed or we're making it so that we can introduce these business peers or entrepreneur friends of ours that we run in circles with or even doing some, you know, paid advertising on their return or on their behalf, excuse me, in order to get these people that have a need in line with the people that are able to deliver on that need and help them. Now, I've got a little experience with with having somebody else be on camera and like be the one teaching uh, the primary teacher for a course, probably not not as much as you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how to kind of how to structure that in general, because I do get a lot of questions about that, too. It's like, hey, Jacques, I've heard you talk about how, how you've outsourced individual courses. Do I just kind of pay those people a royalty fee? Is it more of a one time fee? How do you set, set up the legal stuff? I'd love to hear your response to that. 
Yeah. So I'm not doing the teaching when it comes to like, especially the tech skills. So Mel is doing a lot of that, but Haley also brings some things to the table when it comes to project management, marketing and promo, which are highly needed within this scope of services as well. So I'm totally okay knowing that they're the subject matter experts and just giving them some advice around what tends to work well, because what I do really well is teach. And I have a formula that, you know, we've kind of figured out over time on how to help people to become as successful as possible in a short of amount of time and effort. You know, you're still like putting in the sweat equity and things like that. But we figured out how to remove all of the, the barriers or roadblocks with our students that are preventing them from taking action or, or gaining the results that they're looking for. So when it comes to the structure of how we've run this, it's you know, it started with the very first skill specific course that we partnered with somebody on, which was Haley in June of 2018, maybe is when we kind of struck that deal. And like how it all came about is that I knew again, that our audience was saying, Hey, I want to learn specific skills. I want to learn specific services that I can offer different than what I already know how to do. And she was killing it. So she was one of our very successful students. And that's been the fun part for me too, is most of the people, at least in the beginning that I've gotten involved with as subject matter experts had complementary skill sets to me that were different. And so there were things that I couldn't teach without really, you know, ingraining myself into those worlds, which wasn't something that I was super stoked to do. So we just kind of talked about, you know, what made, made sense based on the fact that we have the audience. And I was talking, I think, to my business coach, and he's like, whoever is marketing it gets the bigger portion of the pie. <laughs> whoever's actually selling it is the one that should profit the most. And it does make sense because if you have a great product, we got no customers. Ain't nobody doing well, right? right? So we ended up doing a 70-30 split. And that was the fact that we had the audience. We were doing all of the tech stuff. We had all of the tools. Any of the money invested was on our behalf. So they were responsible slowly for creating the content. And it was a huge learning experience for them as well, which is, again, something that we've been able to kind of bring to the table is some mentorship and some teaching around things that they didn't have that experience or like it wasn't on her radar at all to create a course. And it's been fun to see kind of her grow in this area as well. So 70-30 split, we own it. And both of us have agreed that we cannot create a competing product while we have this business relationship together. And then there are some nuances in there. The we don't necessarily do it anymore, but at that point, we did like a royalty that was paid when the content was created so that even if it didn't do well, that they made some money from all of this hard work in the process. And then we have a buyout clause as well, which it used to be like, you could buy us out or we would buy you out. And now when we're offering new deals, it's just like, hey, if you want out of this, here's what we're agreed to, which is um, looking at... Oh, I'd have to look it up to give you the specifics. So I'm not going to try and pretend because I might get it wrong. But it's very much fair based on sales and revenue. And we've exercised that right in, in a couple of cases, which is great because then they can kind of remove themselves from having to update any of the content in the future or even the headache of any of it. And on our end, then we just keep all of the profit going forward. And this was the project management course, correct? That was the one we started with, yeah. So, Gina, why not just go to Haley and be like, look, I have this idea for a project management course. I think you'd be perfect for, to be the one kind of behind camera, the one teaching it. I'll pay you X amount of dollars to to create it, do the whole thing, turn it over to me, and then I own it. And then the relationship is over. Why not go about it that way? 
Because I wouldn't feel good about taking that deal on the other side of it. I mean, I see a lot of like promise in the people that we've partnered with and I don't need to make all of the money. Like that's not my mission in life. Like we do pretty well between our two businesses because we have Horky Handbook LLC and then the Pinterest side of things is its own company as well as its own domain and all of the things. Between those two, we did like almost 1.2 last year which I feel really good about. We tend to try and pay our people really well. So our team members, and they can tell me if I'm wrong. We just had a team meeting last week and and we have clear communication and authentic conversations around all of these topics. I want to see everybody win. I don't want to just be the one that makes all the money. Because honestly, if you look at Wade and I's lifestyle, so we've been married this summer for 15 years. Uh, We have two kids. Thank you. That are Shelby's going to be seven and Braxton's eight and a half right now. We don't have this very highfalutin lifestyle and I don't have aspirations for that as well. Like we're very much just experience kind of focused and quality time focused as well. So I think I'm pretty good at business. And it's interesting because like I grew up real poor. I did not have mentors or influences in my life of like successful small business owners And so sometimes I kind of like pinch myself and I'm like, yep, I'm running a big girl business over here. How did this happen? But yeah, I guess that's my long-winded answer to the fact that I don't need to maximize profitability for my own benefit. No, I love it. I love hearing that perspective. I appreciate you sharing it with us. I think that more than just myself will benefit from that. Let's let's, uh, shift gears a little bit. I'm curious to know your thoughts on the importance of diversifying your income streams. We already established that in this new business you're setting up, the primary revenue source is going to be strictly core sales. But are you diversifying the income uh, in any way or is just setting up that business a way for you to diversify overall? Yeah, it is a way for us to diversify overall. I don't know that I would ever sell HorkyHandbook.com. And because that one is so personally branded, it would be maybe a little harder. I know of people that have sold personally branded businesses. And a lot of times they also get hired on as like an employee to maintain the brand. So I know that that exists and they've got that upfront chunk of change, which is what kind of they wanted. Plus they don't have the actual responsibility or the risk anymore. And that's a possibility, not something really that I'm interested in. I don't know that I would sell any of these businesses either. I like to create things is what it comes down to. And, you know, as we learn more and more about what works and what doesn't work, then it's just kind of fun to experiment on these things as well. So diversifying, you know, we've uh, always done some affiliate marketing and I used to offer services obviously in the past and then our own products and services are definitely where it's at. I had this soul pathology session the other week, which is a little bit like a psychic medium kind of thing. A friend gifted it to me and it was super enlightening. All you give is your first name and your date of birth, like your month and the day that you were born. And she could have Googled me, but there's no way she could have spoke at this rapid pace for like an hour and some change about all of these things. Uh, And she doesn't ask you a lot of questions. She just kind of tells you about things. But anyways, one of the things that she told me is that I'd probably start like a consulting arm in this next year. And I'm not pitching that at all right now. I have no plans, but kind of based on the models that we've set forth in these different like courses and brands and all the things. And so that's kind of intriguing to me because I've in, I've been interested in consulting, not so much one-to-one like business coaching. I've done that in the past and and not really interested in that in the future, but that could be a way 
to diversify. We did recently diversify from the online business space to buying a piece of property. We actually own four properties. So we've been at this a little while. Wade has been in our house since 2001. So we haven't moved around a lot. And then we had the opportunity in his small hometown to buy a piece of property for a dollar as long as we built on it within a year's period of time. And so we have like a, a pole building down there that we rent out. It doesn't, it's like $180 a month, but we've received it for the last 10 or 15 years or something like that. So definitely pays for itself. And then we purchased a piece of property up by my parents, which is in Northern Minnesota and haven't built anything on that one yet. But then just a couple of months ago, we bought our first like investment real estate. It's a single family house down in South Padre Island, Texas. So we've been going down there for the last five years and we've always rented the same condo, which is beachfront and beautiful. And we live in Minnesota. It gets super cold for like six months of the year. And so we go down there for two and we weren't seriously looking. And then we started seriously looking when we were down there and we found this amazing place. And it's funny timing because then COVID hit and you can't rent anything out short term. And so I'm kind of praying that we can get down there again and like be the first people that have stayed in this house that we kind of beautifully like furnished or whatever. But we bought it in, in an intelligent way, I think, in that we knew that we could afford it whether or not we rented it out. That was like our agreement between the two of us because we don't want to, we don't want to fight about money. We've done that in the past. We've been there, done that. And it is not kind of a fun relationship deal. And so we thought, okay, if we go in with the intention of knowing we can bankroll it based on our current budget, then this is something that makes sense. So we're looking at property appreciation, but then as we're able to rent it, which the high season is June, July, and August, then you know hopefully we'll have some profit from that as well. Yeah, one of my good friends, Nate Dotson, who's been on this podcast several times, has a pretty successful course, but he he also diversifies. He diversifies with a lot of things, but including real estate like you. I'm not big into real estate, but he does. And his course actually isn't doing as well with the pandemic. A lot of courses are doing even better, but his is not because he teaches people to start an in-person business, which isn't, it's not a great time for it now, but he's not really too worried about it because he's so well diversified. So it's really interesting. And I know like, for example, Amazon just slashed their affiliate rates in, in half and even more in some cases, depending on what the item is. And, you know, there's some businesses out there fully reliant on Amazon affiliate income and overnight, boom, revenue cut in half. So that's why I really wanted to hear your thoughts on the diversification. Yeah. You know what I think is super interesting right now is just how people are pivoting. So a lot of these in-person business owners, like, you know, my coach just recently shared his sister's journey on his podcast. She's a yoga teacher and they're taking everything online and doing, you know, Zoom in the meantime. And then I don't know if they're building out an app or what they're doing, but all sorts of businesses are, I I heard of like a physical therapist where you don't have to be one-on-one doing services anymore. That might've been this kind of core of your business once upon a time, but a lot of it is figuring out kind of the needs of people and meeting them where they are, how you can and I think that's so fun to see a lot of these traditional brick and mortar businesses see that there is another way and it can be a less, a more flexible way and a more lucrative way mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I've been impressed by seeing the pivots as well. I think it's, it's easier to pivot 
when you can kind of need to. And a lot of people are in that position where they're, they kind of need to figure something else out. I was, I was having, uh, I was having a chat with uh, my gym owner, the gym that I normally go to and haven't been to in a month or two. And I mean, he's got to pivot. And so he came to me just looking for online course ideas. So it's really interesting hearing all the different businesses that uh, in the different ways they're affected by the pandemic. Gina, you are obviously passionate about your business. You said a little while ago, you love creating things. I'm curious about this. This is something I'm struggling with lately. I, I, I absolutely love my business. Like I love work. You know, before when I worked a full-time job, I hate, I hated Sundays because the weekend was coming to a close. I hated, you know, going into the office Monday morning. I didn't necessarily hate my job. I just was sad that the weekend was over and I was ha- having to do this thing and go work for somebody else and get tasks from somebody else. But now I absolutely love my job. Here's my problem. I have, I have trouble shutting it off, right? When my workday is over and I'm going to hang out with my wife, with my kids, or maybe it's the weekend, we're going to do something like, I feel like I'm always just thinking about my business, thinking about new ideas, different ways I could do things and when I'm going to get back to work. Do you have any advice for kind of shutting it off and separating your business and and family life? I mean, I'm not perfect. As we explored earlier in our conversation, I mean, I hit kind of this imploding period where I had to make some significant changes. And one of those was removing alcohol from my life, which also allows you to like think clearer and have more energy and be generally happier, at least in my case. I'm not um, going to go on any kind of tangents there and telling people how to live their lives. But you know, I just came off a period of working really hard because we were in the midst of one of our launches. And that tends to be like a period where my family gets neglected and I feel some guilt around that. But we also, before that came off of almost three months of being together almost nonstop. And so I fit in work in little pockets, but for the most part, it was family. It wasn't work during that season. And so I think that we're all striving for this like elusive balance that everything has to be 50%, 50% work and family. And that's not necessarily true. And Dave Ramsey spoke to this once where you just have seasons of life where maybe your business is getting more and then your family is getting more. If one of these is always winning out like the business, then you're going to have to put some sort of safety gates in place to notice that. Because if you're just head down and work, we can be workaholics. We can get kind of obsessed about this kind of stuff. And I don't know about you, but I never look at like marketing the same, like commercials and all of that. Just it brings you ideas because you're studying how people are marketing their businesses and stuff like that. So what I'm doing currently that seems to be working now that we're not in that launch period is I actually don't start my day until 10 and I end it at six. So that's an eight hour period of time. Do I have to work eight hours? No. Um, I just know that I also have a lot of projects working and things like that, that I want to make sure that I'm on time for deadline wise. And so we get up and we're a family in the morning. We don't do any TV and it's not because we're like super strict, crazy people. It just, we know like, especially with the kids being homeschooled right now, which luckily we had experience with when we were in Texas, because we bring them out of public school and unenroll them so that we can homeschool them during the time that we're there. It's just a couple of focused hours, right? But if they get into video games or TV before they have to get into school, it just makes everybody crazy or crazy and crabby because it's like a fight of getting this stuff done. And so we have calmer mornings. We just got a dog. So we have this wonderful little uh, Scotch Collie named Charlie and he just brings a lot of joy in our lives, but he has to be walked, you know? And so never have we met more of our neighbors on this dead end dirt road that we live on because we're out walking the dog and everybody's around with COVID. And so 
we just kind of have stepped into a routine of breakfast and walking the dog and, you know, I get ready for work and they're uh, doing their thing, playing with actual toys instead of video games. And um, then they're doing school and I'm doing this. And then they tend to get outside for quite a few hours in the afternoon too. And, and then I wrap up my day at dinner time. So I can't be late unless I don't want to eat or, you know, family dinner to us is kind of important too. So we just plug in during that time and, I don't know if that helps or doesn't help, but it's all about like routine and making sure that you have some of those safety nets in place to kind of have cutoff times because it's easy. I can wake up and get on the computer at seven o'clock in the morning and I could go home for dinner, but I could get back on and it ends up being 14 hours or more. And that's just not healthy long-term. It might be for a season. Yeah, no, that, that definitely helps. I mean, I, I just thoroughly enjoy working, working on my business and it's not uh, really about the money anymore. Like before at my full-time job, like I had to log hours in order to get paid, you know, I was getting paid hourly. And so now I know that if I, you know, just take a, day, a random day off, I'll probably make the exact same amount of money that day, whether I was working or not. So it, it's, it can be hard and it can be hard for my wife to see that too. Uh, cause she knows that a lot of my income is passive as well. So that's one thing I'm working through right now is just try to try to flip switches better and, and be more present in whatever I'm currently working on. Yeah. Being present. That's that hard one. There's a really great song that I'll have to send you after the fact, but it's all about like living in the moment and how quickly life passes you by, but it's um, like a smart song, not like a super sappy song that you're like, Oh, that's dumb. <laughs> no, cool. If you send it to me, then we'll, we'll drop it in the show notes if it's in time. Well, look, Gina, this has been a fantastic conversation. Once again, I'm sure we'll have you back on one day in the future as well. Kind of one more, one more question here for you before we wrap things up. If somebody out there is just kind of, kind of struggling, like they're starting, they've started online course business, making a few sales here and there, but you know, they're, maybe they're still working their full-time job. They just haven't figured out how to make it work yet. If somebody's coming to you uh, with that situation, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, I think investing in student success is probably towards the top um, because the more successful your students are, that they're able to get results, then it's just going to spread like a positive reputation on your behalf. It also makes you feel good. So it helps you to search for that next person to help to change their lives in whatever little way that that is. And then I think the other thing that was helpful for me, especially in the beginning, was an affiliate program. So I was finding ways to get in front of other people's established audiences. And there was this mutually kind of beneficial exchange. I mean, you talked about Amazon and, and Lauren their commission. A lot of course providers are paying what, like 40% is what we pay on average. I'm, I've seen some as low as like 10%. And sometimes there's reasons that they can't pay more with business relationships and, and whatever in the mix. But if a an affiliate doesn't have to do anything except for like bring you into their fold, and obviously they need to like, know and trust you in order to uh, present you as a solution to their audience's problems, that affiliate doesn't have to do any of the customer service, which if we're honest, is not the fun part of our business. Although... Every inquiry that comes into your inbox from a customer service perspective is a sales opportunity. So if you're not looking at things the right way with the right mindset, and that's typically a more optimistic, positive being of service mindset, then you might not be getting the um, results that you're looking for. And again, it's just not as much fun. But if you can really like adopt the fact that you're a change maker and that you're bringing um, some solutions to some problems and you're helping to better people's lives. Like if you can grasp that, your work does become a lot more fun and it's more about spreading the message and providing those solutions than it is about each sale and how much money goes into your bank account. 
but it's a slow roll for a lot of people getting started. I remember my first five people were beta testers, right? And I found them in this Facebook community that I was a part of. And, you know, my goal was to help them to become successful. So I actually had some case studies or testimonials or whatever. And then I think I sold our first course for $25 a pop. And it, you know, even at that rate was, was hard going at the time, but you know, it's turned into what it is today. And no, I love that. It's a good reminder that, that all the things that you could be doing, all the things you could be focusing on, because there's so many different pieces and parts here. There's probably nothing more important than student success at the end of the day when we're talking about courses. And that just that can then just create a big feedback loop and create everything else, make everything else better. So thanks for that reminder as well. Gina, been a pleasure to wrap things up. Just remind everybody where they can find your stuff. Yeah. Well, nowadays, if you want to check out GinaHorky.com, so G-I-N-A, H-O-R-K-E-Y.com. We didn't own our own domain for a while. Somebody else did and they wanted to charge a lot of money for it, but then they let it go and we picked it up for like 300 bucks last year. So we're building out that website. If this is five weeks out or however many, then it should be raring to go and you'll get a sense of who I am as a business owner and as an entrepreneur. And then, you know, some of the problems that we tackle in finding solutions for. Amazing. Thank you, Gina. All right. That's a wrap on the conversation with Gina. David, let's get into it, man. The first and biggest thing that jumped out at me was how she's just kind of creating a new business and it's kind of its its own all all encompassing business. And she's kind of trying to keep it all separated. And I just, I really like the thought of that because I've got, you know, I've got my two businesses or, or really brands that fall under one business and nothing's really super separated. And I don't personally ever intend to, to sell anything that I've created so far, but it's really interesting just hearing her process. Somebody that knows so much about creating courses, starting over from scratch with its own dedicated business. It's it's really, I wish I could just like follow it really closely and see everything she's doing inside of that new business. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it sounded, it sounded complicated. It sounded like a lot of moving parts, a lot of partnerships. I went back and listened to her the last episode and, and yeah, she's got a lot of a lot of pans on the oven or whatever, but she seems like she's super, super high power and high, high effectiveness at getting things done. Yeah. And, and seems like she has a great team too. Now she's one of the things she know she's known for is training virtual assistants. So you would think <laughs> somebody that trains virtual assistants or, or teaches people to do that um, and to hire virtual assistants would have a good virtual assistant team of her own. And it sounds like she definitely does. And, and her team really empowers her to get all the stuff done that she's getting done, which is super cool to hear. But yeah, I just like, as she was talking about that, like it would be really cool to just get some sort of really detailed ride along when, when there's a successful course creator that's kind of starting over rather than them just telling you what they would do to actually, you know, see that entire process. I know uh, Pat Flynn has done that several times where he has, He's like, look, I'm going to start a niche business and, and, and document the process the entire uh, way through. He started a, a whole food trucker info product business. He started a podcast with that and, and all kinds of stuff. And he just kind of documented the whole thing. And then he ended up selling that business. So that wasn't specifically an online course business. But it would be cool to see. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm going to do that. I've got too many things I'm working on right now as it is. Mm -hmm. But that's something I would like to see and something I was thinking of as Gina was talking about her new business. Yeah, the biggest thing that I uh, noticed, I mean, she said, I, I believe, of $1.2 million in revenue for the year. She still has a business coach. She mentioned yeah. that just briefly. And so I, I would have liked to dig a little bit deeper. Like, 
what's the value of the business coach to you? How did you find that person? How often do you meet? You know, like, I don't know, I guess I was wondering, do you, I know that you meet weekly with Nate, but do you actually empower him to like be your coach and be like, Jacques, you have to do this? Or what, what, no, would, be, he, what would be your take on like having a business coach? Yeah, I feel like I could definitely use one. I think there's always room for that, no matter what level you are. I'm sure that Gina's business coach probably has a business coach of his own, you know? And it's funny because her specific business coach, this is the second time I've heard somebody I've talked to in the past month or two that had this same exact business coach. Greg of Studio One Designs, he probably mentioned it on the podcast. He, you know, he was on 10 or 15 episodes ago, also has James Shramko as his business coach. I think he's one of the big business coach gurus out there. And I'm trying to get him on the podcast, by the way because he's got courses of his own too. But yeah, I think I think business a business coach is is potentially very very valuable, you know, and and I mentioned fix this next by Mike Michalowicz in the intro and that's yet another topic in that book is how important it is to have a business coach because they can analyze your your business and the decisions you're making uh, in your business from a, a much less emotional standpoint, right? An unbiased, less emotional standpoint and and help you to run things by them. And, and so, no, I don't have one currently. I've got several masterminds I'm in and, and people that I, can, that I trust that I can run things by, but I don't specifically have a, a coach, but I feel like I, I probably should. What about you? Do you consider yourself to be coachable? Highly? Yes, I do. Really? I, I think I take advice well. Yeah. And, and you know, on the note about Nate, you know, he, we, we meet weekly and he actually challenged me on something last week and he like assigned to me something this past week. And it was very, it was, it was very welcome. It's something I hadn't really thought of. And, and I, I, I told him when we met the next time, I was like, look, you're in trouble, man, because all I could think about all week was this assignment you gave me. And it like kept me up at night. He's like, good, good. It should have kept you up at night. So are you able to um, share what it was? No. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. But it was, it, there's probably nobody that knows my business other than myself more than, than Nate. And so he's able to do things like that. So while he's not technically my coach, he's, I've empowered him to help me mm-hmm. to think about things like that. And I do the same for him and his business. Yeah. I think that being coachable is not one of my strengths. I, there was a really? period, no, there was a period of time I had a chiropractic business coach and eventually that kind of fell apart because he just, I don't know. I mean, I was trying to, he wanted me to do, it felt like he wanted me to do 30 things at once. And I was like, I can only focus on like eight. And uh, <laughs> it, it fell apart at some level. I don't know. He, he was a nice guy, but kind of left me with a bad taste in my mouth. But I do think that getting that outside perspective in that direction toward the one thing obviously is, is really powerful. What's with all these situations leaving a bad taste in your mouth? You know, yeah, now you're you're not coachable. You don't want to take piano lessons because of your bad <laughs> past experiences. You got to get over this, David. Come on. Yeah, well, I mean, I like to set my own path. Like I do, I get stuff done, but it's kind of in my own time and it's it's in my own direction. So, I mean, I have fun with it. But yeah, even with my bicycling, like some people follow an exact plan. And I'm like, when I want to go for a ride, it's like, which direction is the wind blowing and and how far do I want to go? It's like, I don't know. I'm kind of fiercely independent, I guess. You got to you got to be your own person as well as well. So, David, any other takeaways from this conversation with Gina? Yeah, I found interesting the discussion of like when you bring somebody on to make a course together, whether you do it as kind of a joint venture or pay one time. I mean, I have to say, like, 
I thought that your your idea and way of doing it sounded better just based on the simplicity and clarity. So if you pay somebody um, just a set fee to record the course for you, what I was thinking is that then if you do have affiliates, if they want to if they want to increase their earnings in the future, all they have to do is promote it with an affiliate link. And especially if you're doing that generous number like the 40 percent that that I think you're doing with piano in 21 days. And I think she mentioned that number as well. Then then that co-course creator can ultimately um, create that income stream. But it seems like it would keep everything cleanly like cleaner. So, yeah, I'm all about clean and simple, simple wherever possible. I think there's definitely pros to both approaches. I've had great success with just paying a one-time fee, and now I own the assets. But you know, if you remember way back uh, when I interviewed Caitlin Pyle on the show from Proofread Anywhere, I don't even know what episode it was, but it was it was quite a long time ago. And she she did the the kind of royalty model as well, same as Gina. And I remember her saying that the reason was that that she just wanted to empower that person and and that person have some ownership in it and. And I think the key is if you want if you want that person to stick around and be involved in the business for the long term, then that's the way you do it. But if you just want to hand over a product and and really not have that person involved, then you pay the one time fee. And so it depends on what you're going for. I have I have my my reasons to kind of want to stay alone and not have other people involved in the business. And then you know people like Caitlin Pyle or, or Gina Horky want to want to to outsource the course, but pay a percentage, have some ownership and let that person stay around and help manage the whole thing as well. So definitely uh, pros and cons to each approach. Definitely. You were saying that lately you've been so excited and having so much fun in your business that it's hard to like turn off the focus at night. Yeah. And so I was just uh, curious, like what's an example of something that's like making you most excited? Like, you know, you're there in the evening and, and just a thought comes to you. Like what, what are you most excited about other than just like a really, really great amount of sales? <laughs> no, it's just my, my community, my piano community is just blowing up right now. They're just so excited about learning. They're having great results. And I just love what I do. I love helping people with online courses. And I love helping people who uh, never thought they'd actually be able to play piano, play piano. And it's so ironic because one of the really catalysts to, to get me into this whole world of online business and entrepreneurship is the four-hour work week. And I was just so enthralled with the idea of an actual four hour work week and having this business running. But now that I'm actually, I've created the businesses that I'm most passionate about, like what I would do if I, you know, if I had all the money in the world, I'm doing what I would do. And I want to work more than four hours per week. Like I want to do this. And when I'm bored, I want to work on my business. Like this is what mm -hmm. I like to do. And I always look forward to getting back to work. And so that's at the end of the day, that's kind of what I was referring to is because of how much I enjoy it. I'm always thinking about it and always wanting to get back to it. Definitely. Yeah. And I was thinking, I'm like, you know, what would be the advice that I would give in that situation? Like, the ideal thing would be to find family activities that are as fun as your business, but <laughs> in the midst of, uh, you know, we're still in quarantine. And so, you know, some of the things that might be fun to do as family activities, just, you know, there's some like to one extent or another shut down. But uh, yeah, and we and we love to travel as a family. That's one of our big things we love to do. And that's pretty difficult right now. But no, I mean, I'm not I wasn't trying to say that in general, we are bored or, or whatever. But I, I mean, I guess to an extent we are because we're staying home. But yeah, that's that's one thing is to try to keep life, personal life as exciting mm -hmm. as business life. So thanks for that. 
Yeah, the last question uh, or kind of note, I went back and listened to the last interview with with uh, Gina, and there was a point where she talked about the the kind of like guarantee how long it was. She went into actual business coach mode with you, and she had mm-hmm. some specific recommendations. She said that personally with her courses, there was a seven-day guarantee, and then she also said that people couldn't take more than 15% of the course and get their money back. And right. she, she recommended that you drop your guarantee down to 15 days and that you outsource the refunds. And so I was wondering if you actually uh, took her advice on either of those or, or where your refund policy currently is. Well, I did outsource the refunds, so definitely did that. I did not change the refund policy from 30 days, though. Okay. I, I just really, really want to provide my students and customers the best possible experience. And I think having a refund policy is, is an important part of that. And... I don't have any requirements for somebody getting a refund other than the time frame. And if somebody comes in at day 31 and asks for a refund, I do give it to them. And I've thought about it, making it even longer. And, 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 you know, I've, I've even toying with this idea of a lifetime refund policy. Mm. Like if at any time you ever want your money back, just cause I, I don't think it would change things very much. I think if at the end of the day you have an amazing product and give an amazing experience, then people will want to be a part of that. And, and reward you for that as well. And so I think that by shortening the refund policy and being really stingy about it, there may be potential issues about your course or, or something in your mind about weaknesses in your course. Mm-hmm. I will say when she talked about the reasons to decrease the refund policy down to a shorter amount of time, her main motivation was because she does a lot with affiliates and she wanted to be able yeah. to pay affiliates every two weeks. And so that seven day policy allowed that. So as you start to head toward doing more affiliates, I guess that could, uh, cause in general, if somebody makes a sale for you, you want to get them paid within about 30 days. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so right now my refund policy is 30 days. So therefore I don't pay affiliates until after that 30 mm-hmm. days. So that's a great point. You know, your affiliates are essentially your customer as well. So you want to find the line between treating them well uh, to your students well and your affiliates well. So that's, yeah, that's a very good point by Gina and yourself. Well, that's the main things that I had. Cool. Talking about affiliates in the intro and outro today. All right. Well, another fun one as normal. David, thank you so much for joining me as the uh, as the co-host here. And thanks to Gina for coming back on the podcast. Always like having her on. And thank you to everybody out there listening as well. You should know the drill by now. We do show notes for every episode and you can find those for today's episode by going to the online course guide.com slash 133. And there's plenty other resources about online courses at my site. You can find videos. You can find all the tools that I recommend. You can find a link to our free Facebook community there and a bunch of other stuff by going to theonlinecourseguy.com. Thanks again. We'll talk next week. 